Nice to see everyone. I want to thank our series sponsor, Alana Mark Rothenberg, Rachel Feiner, in memory of Alana Rachel's father, Azriel Benyako Feiner. We're up to uh, Parshat Shemos, if I'm correct, 5782 Boot Camp. And the sponsors today as well, Jessica Malkaloe, in memory of Michael's father, Yosef Ben Benyamin Alevi, Debbie and Siggy Stein, in memory of Debbie's father, Zeb Ben Pinchas, Linda and Zalman Indig, in memory of Linda's father, Aaron Ben Shimonak Cohen. So I was just inspired to start off with a uh, Hasidish piece of Torah. I started looking at a Parsha sheet. There's a way to find it online if anybody wants to know. It's a little bit roundabout way. Almost every uh, Hasidic sect in Eretz Yisrael has a Parsha sheet. And, if you, and they all use the internet to post it, so, uh, including Satmer. So you have to just know how to look it up. So the last couple of weeks I started to look at a Parsha sheet. I never noticed it before. It's called Derech HaBesht, the way of the uh, Baal Shem Tov. It's Torah that's inspired by the derech of the Baal Shem Tov. I don't know if it's inspired by the Torah of the Baal Shem Tov or by the Baal Shem Tov's way of life, which I think is most likely uh, what Hasidus is. We have a copy of the Baal Shem Tov on Chumash, which is from students or students of students, and I've never uh, seen this in there. So I'm going to introduce it with a Nechama Leibowitz piece, which is very famous. So I'll get some schar up there. We're combining a Nechama Leibowitz. You actually have a similar idea in the Rav, Lubavitch, Rebbe. And then we're going to come to this, to me, which was a tremendous chiddush in this parasha sheet. Now, they attribute it to a Breslov, to a Rav from Breslov, Rav Freund, who is uh, no longer alive. I don't know so much about him, but we'll combine it. And it's definitely a beautiful Hasidish piece of Torah. In the, if you look at Nechama Leibowitz in the beginning of Sefer Shemos, so she has a lot about, about uh, Moshe Rabbeinu. First of all, why was Moshe chosen? And she has this whole approach based on the Ibn Ezra that uh, aside from anything that he did, the Jews were only going to be redeemed by a person that didn't grow up as a slave, the whole psychology of, of a slave. But Lemaisa, but practically, Moshe, as we'll talk about tomorrow, God willing, was away for so many years. So she suggests that Hashem was only going to choose someone who is inherently a person who is a giving person, who was sensitive to the oppressed, who was not only there for the Jewish people, but was there just as a, a humane person. And therefore, you have three stories about Moshe. There were many more stories about Moshe, but the Torah goes out of its way to talk about three stories. First story, Jew, we'll call it a Jew, is fighting against a non-Jew. A non-Jew is beating up a Jew, and Moshe comes to the defense. Second story we have, which is true about Jewish leadership, you have to get involved in sometimes uh, resolving machlokas between Jews. It's happened in the past that not every Jew gets along. you imagine? And therefore Moshe Rabbeinu is there. You have some people who maybe you don't want to get involved in inner, you know, they're out there fighting against anti-Semitism, but they don't want to deal with what's going on in the shul. And then finally, the third story that ultimately makes Moshe the chosen one is he gets involved in something that totally has nothing to do with him. He's looking for trouble, it sounds like, with the story with uh, Yisro's uh, daughters being taken advantage. So that's Moshe Rabbeinu, who's getting involved just in an issue of humanity. And then Hashem says in the Chamalebu's piece, beautifully, now you're chosen. Now, I always thought, why don't we just have the third story? Because if you see that Moshe Rabbeinu is getting involved with people who have nothing to do with him, and he's already gotten in trouble for being involved, so she doesn't discuss that, but I always thought, we know historically, if you have a look at the list, they used to publish a list somewhere of the biggest donors, you know, to non-Jewish causes. 
nothing wrong, like the, the different museums and hospitals. Hospitals are a Jewish cause, but let's say it's a, whatever it may be, non-Jewish causes, very often the Jews are the biggest donors. But you try to ask the same guy to give money to the base Knesset, they're not giving any money. So it's very nice to be into humanity, but how about Jewish humanity as well? But the Medrash is not satisfied with this approach because the bottom line is nothing against Nechama Leibowitz's approach, but Moshe at that point is uh, far away from being chosen. It could have been 40 years later, according to some even 60 years later, until the scene of the burning bush. So I want to add a Hasidic piece. I'll call this fourth reason, but there's a Medrash. And I'll read this Medrash, it's a very famous Medrash. Every kid knows the Medrash. But I picked up a line this year, thanks to Derek Habesht, which I never noticed before. So what happens in this Medrash? It's about the sheep, right? Moshe finds a sheep. Everyone knows this. He finds a sheep and he carries the sheep back home. So what does that prove? You have to like dogs in order to be a leader of the Jewish people. You have to be sensitive to animals. But we'll see how the, this is not the way we're going to go. The Medrash says, I don't want to read too much of it inside right now, but it says that Moshe Rabbeinu, who was at this point employed by his father-in-law, which was by itself maybe the reason he was chosen, because he seemed to get along very well with his father-in-law for many years. What happened? There was uh, one little shepsala, is that what you call it, right? One little sheep that ran away from the flock. And what happens? V'amar ha'gadil he sees that the sheep goes to a brecha of mayim, a pool of water, or mayan, whatever it may be, of water, <clears throat> and goes to drink. Moshe Moshe goes to, to chase him, so he leaves the flock, he leaves his boundary, and he runs to uh, chase him and get him. Amar, ani lo I never noticed this line in the Medrash. Listen carefully. I did not know sheratz hayisa nei sama ayef. I didn't realize that the reason why the sheep ran away, this particular sheep, was because he was thirsty and he needed some water. And we were out there in the desert. We weren't near the water. I didn't know that this little shepsula needed some water. Now, if you think about this medrash, this is the way it's presented in Derek Habesh. What's the big deal? I mean, this was his job after all. Moshe's job was to be a shepherd. So when you come back to your boss, probably the first thing that the boss does is uh, he counts. You know, if, you, if you're left with 50 sheep, you come back and you want to make sure there's 50. If not, you're going to get your, uh, if you had a sheep for lunch, right, they're probably going to take it off of your pay. So what's the big deal about this? So what the Derech Habesh says, and this is from this Refroint, his understanding of this Medrash, is that this is symbolic, really, of the requirement of a leader. And I'd say it's the requirement, I'm pushing a little bit further, of every single Jew. The Medrash is not just telling us a story that Moshe, just like he loved people, he loved animals. Because that's probably true. And you see many, many, like David Amelach, you have similar stories. And you have many of the great Avram, Mitzvah, and Yaakov were shepherds. They weren't just nice to animals. It was an opportunity for his bodedus and reflection, as the Rishonim tell us. But the key over here is not only that Moshe ran after this one to bring him back, which is point number one of any leader. You can't be satisfied if even one sheep gets away. We in a Jewish community, this is the development of the Derech HaBesh, and now you understand why it's a Hasidic piece of Torah, but it should be for everyone. The biggest Litvak in the world is this is not an exclusive club. You know, Moshe could have said, he could have justified, let one little sheep go away. I have to save 49 others. You know, what happened when Moshe went away? To catch this one, 
he had to give his uh, co-workers probably the responsibility. So number one is Moshe was willing to save every little sheep. A Jew has to go out of his way to save every other Jew. If not, you're not a leader. If not, it's not only a question of leadership, it's a question of what it means. But here's the great line, which made me cry when I saw this, or almost made me cry, should have made me cry. Moshe sees that where's the sheep going? The sheep is going to drink some water. What's water? To us, we know what Mayim is. Mayim is Mayim Chai, and Mayim is Torah. A leader has to see that maybe not every sheep wants to drink the same type, but everybody inside of them, you know, the Pinto Yid, wants to have Mayim, wants to have Torah. And he says, I didn't realize that he was thirsty. I may have thought this was the troublemaker who's always running out of class. I didn't think that guy was thirsty for Torah. And you have to be able to find the right mix, right? You have to be able to put it together to make sure that everybody comes home. That's a tremendous insight. So I think I combine this with the Nechama Leibowitz shot, and now you have a fourth reason. So you obviously have to have those qualities, but you also have to make sure you're never satisfied. You don't put up a sign either that, you know, we're sold out. There's room for everybody inside, and if they're not coming inside, you got to go out. you got to go to the halls, you got to go to the streets and uh, bring them in because they all have water to drink. Now let's take that. I still have a few minutes. What time is it, Sam? Okay, I've, but I'm going to do one more piece. I already gave you a contemporary and a chassidah combined together. It was rough showing up just for that, Howie Blumenfeld, who's going to listen to this on the recording. So I want to go to uh, Avram ben Arambam. You know, having the name Avram Avinu, if your father's Terach, everybody knows who you are. But if your father's the Rambam, not everybody's going to know you if your name is Avraham. The Gra, I believe, also had a famous son called Avram ben Agra, but he's not so famous because his father was the Gra. So the Avram ben Arambam, the Rambam had a son, his name is Avraham. He's becoming more popular now. You see, eventually, it's taken a while, but you get to the 21st century, he's getting more popular. There's a whole uh, institute in Eretz Yisrael that is publishing the works from manuscripts of Avram ben Arambam. This is the greatest time we're living in when it comes to the publishing of Svarim. Maybe not so many new Svarim, there are, but what we're seeing from Rishonim. He wrote a Sefer of Musar that I use very often in uh, Yeshiva Ner Yisrael, where my brother learned it's the Musar Sefer that they've used for many years. CPC, I forget the name, it's, a, it's had such an impact on me. But it's an amazing Sefer. And in that Sefer, he tells stories about the Rambam. You know, we don't have stories of the Rambam in the Mishnah Torah, so it's an amazing Sefer. But he also has a parish on Chumash, and there are now editions coming out, amazing editions. You could find online, I like to get people places where I'm not cheating over here, you look on Torah.org, they now have on Torah.org the Avram ben Rambam annotated with footnotes. A lot of what the Avram ben Rambam shares with us is not only his own Torah, but we see Torah from the Gaonim. We don't know so much about the Gaonim, especially the Perushim on Chumash, but he quotes very often from Reb Sadyagon. I have Reb Sadyagon on Chumash, but I didn't find this inside, so he had a better version of Reb Sadyagon. And this is what I want to basically present. If I had to ask you, we're going to get class participation over here today from those listening on tape, scream out in your cars or at home, if, who is the most countercultural figure in Parsha Shemos? I'm not really explaining what that means, but like the one who went against the trend of their society. Who would you say it was? So most people, I already did this game in my house last night with some cousins. Well, who would you say? The number one answer? No, in Sefer Shemos. In Sefer Shemos. Miriam. Oh, so very interesting. Why do you say Miriam? She, she divided 
Uh, she defied power. So first of all, I'm very happy you, you included a woman. But once you go on along those lines, push it a little bit further. And I would say, according to the Avram ben Arambam, who we're going to lead to in this Devar Torah, it was Batya. It was the daughter of Para. And what I'm going to suggest, based on this uh, Avram ben Arambam, who basically says it, is the figure, of course, in Bereshus, who changed the world, was Avram Avinu. Avram comes from Terach. The Rambam in Hilchus Havodos Kachav and Perak Aleph goes out of his way. Avram didn't have a teacher. The whole culture, he was so countercultural. If you know anything about what was going on with those big uh, palaces and those big uh, places of, of worship, and then Avram says, there's a God you don't even see. We know everything, but that was last Sefer. Who's Batya? Batya, whatever motivated her, and that's what we're going to see right now, is discussed in the Rishonim. Batya comes from a culture that is totally hedonistic. That's number one. If you know what's going on in Mitzrayim, Kamasi Eris Mitzrayim, we're not supposed to act. And she grew up in a house where the sign in the house was kill all Jews, right? That's what it said in the textbooks, right? And she, come from the, she came from the place where they were publishing the textbooks, right? Kill all Jewish males. And what does she do? She saves a Jewish male. So the question is why? The question is why? So I want to show you some of the approaches. So we'll start a little bit backwards from one of the great uh, Rabbanim in the 1700s. These are from his drushes, the Kaliakar. He was like me. He had a beautiful shul and he used to give drushes. Unlike me, they were published for the world. So this is the Kaliakar. The Kaliakar says, you know, the Medrash tells us that Moshe sounded like his cry was not the cry of a baby. You know, everybody has a baby, they think they're the cutest. You know, you have a grandchild, I've never seen anyone so beautiful in the world. They sit, they're already like an adult, right? Let them be babies, right? So Moshe cried like he was a teenager or like a nar. So therefore, the Kliyakar says, Batshu was willing to save. If she was a baby or cried like a baby, Batshu would have stayed away, according to the Kliyakar, because all the babies are supposed to be killed. So it is a little Rachmanis, but according to the Kliyakar, you're not going to give her uh, a first ballot Hall of Fame, you know, because she's, uh, she's not going to get the Nobel Peace Prize over here. Maybe she's better than some others. If you look at the Bechar Shar, the Bechar Shar says that, you know, Batya basically was like her father. Egyptian culture, it was embedded in the culture to be so anti-Jews at this point, and everybody was into this movement of getting rid of Jewish kids. But she had the Bechar Shar as one of the important Rishonim on Chumash, but it's all leading up to the Avram ben Rambam. But she had Rachmanis. It says, Vatachma love. You could feel, you could have a certain way, but if you hear a baby crying, who's not going to have Rachmanis? So it was a moment of Rachmanis. And the, there are other Rishonim that take the same approach. But listen now to the Avram ben Rambam. She goes down to the to Lirchot Zalayar, wash herself, and I'm going to read you the Avram ben Arambam. So he quotes from Reb Gon. Her character was the antithesis, was in total contradistinction to the character of her father. His inherent way of going was to have a hardened heart. It wasn't just Hashem hardened his heart. He was a cold, he was a Kalta person. You know, you look at a Nazi, right? How they're able to kill people. That's the way they were. That's what Paro was trying to develop against the Jews in Mitzrayim. They're nothing. We demonize the Jew. 
But v'hi v'tachma olav. She in character, it's not just at a moment of Rachmanus. She had the like everyone else, and she developed herself. This was probably not the first child that she saved, and not the last, right? It just happened to be. We talk about Moshe Rabbeinu, and you connect it to the first part of the year. there was something unique about Moshe. But what was unique about her was v'hu b'tachlis harasha. She grew up in a house where the father's whole purpose was to be evil. V'hi b'tachlis hayosher. It's an unbelievable expression from the Avram ben Arambam. And she lived a life to do the right thing. So you see in many ways the, what I call the Avram of Sefer Shemos is this great woman whose name is Batya. It's nothing against Miriam, but Miriam still grew up in a house of sensitivity. Now the Gemara goes even a little bit further and says that this was not only in character, which of course is incredible, but it was also in theology. The Gemara says in Sota, why was she going down to the water? She was going down to the water, L'shem Geirus. That's what Rashi and the Gemara says, because she understood on her own, like Avram Avinu, that everything that her father is preaching is fake, because she saw her father going to the bathroom. You know, the daughter really knows what's happening to the father, even though the people outside don't necessarily see it. So hopefully you take these two ideas home, and uh, if you didn't hear it live, you're going to listen to it on uh, Memorex, and you should have a beautiful Shabbos. Amen.